I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Pursuit peeps, today's guest is a great reminder that as society and culture seems to be pushing kids so much harder, so much earlier in sports, Naya Tapper's journey is an example for all of us that you can still be amazing even when you don't find your sport until college. Naya is a 2020 Olympian, professional women's rugby player, and captain for the USA Women's Eagle Sevens team. She's originally from South Carolina and moved around the country as part of a military family before finally settling in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she was raised. Naya began her rugby career playing for UNC Chapel Hill as more of a hobby. Then she began her professional career for the Eagles just four years later. She's currently a full-time resident at the Chula Vista Elite Athlete Training Center and has been there for eight years now. She's currently focusing on building her brand, Naya on Fire, and is training hard to make her second Olympic team in 2024. Some of Naya's accolades include the title of all-time leading try scorer for the Women's Eagle Sevens team, being the first woman in USA Rugby history to hit 100 tries, for receiving the number one spot on SportsCenter Top 10, and participating in Project Runway. Away from the field, Naya loves to spend time with family and friends, and she also loves turtles, practicing Spanish, and traveling the world. Much like you'll hear Naya talking about how she had to physically develop the skills necessary to advance in rugby, I now help athletes learn specific mindset skills to help advance their physical performance. But I don't just want athletes learning these skills. I want to help athletes use and apply those skills into their training and competition. If you've been wanting to start harnessing your mental game, but you're not really sure where to start, I have the perfect gift for you. I created a free guide with the top 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. And it's not just a list of the skills. It's also a guide and a self-assessment to help you kickstart your journey to confidence. Go grab your copy over at laurawilkinson.com slash skills. That's laurawilkinson.com slash skills. Before we get started, make sure you smash that subscribe button and also start sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. The best way for us to grow is by word of mouth, by people like you sharing your favorite episodes with other people. It's a great way for us to grow, but it also allows us to keep going, to keep improving and to keep bringing you more resources, tools and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Naya Tapper, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm super excited to be here and to be able to um, connect with you and your listeners. Well, I have to ask. So you are a rugby player. You're an Olympian. You're a professional player. You're all these amazing things. But how does somebody get started in rugby? Because that, for me, that wasn't really around growing up. That wasn't something that I saw all the time. Is it more common now? Or how did you find your way into rugby? It definitely wasn't something that I learned about until my senior year of high school. Oh, really? Yeah. So weirdly, my high school had a rugby team. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no clue what it was. I just knew that the females were playing contact football, it looked like to me, but it was actually rugby. And for me, like growing up as a young girl who had a lot of energy, very aggressive and loved playing football, watched my brother play football all the way up into the professional league. It was just always 
a dream for me in a weird sense to be the first girl in the NFL. But like as time went on, I quickly learned that it wasn't really going to be an option for me. And so when I seen rugby, it kind of re-sparked that dream that I had around football and gave me, in a sense, another option. And so when I went off to college, we had a club team there as well. So I didn't end up playing in high school because I was running track full time. But um, when I got to college, I had a little more free time because I was just focusing on my academics and having a social life. And so when I seen that they had rugby as on the club level, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I could, I can commit some time to that. And so they had tryouts for that. And for club, a lot of the times, especially back then when there weren't many people who knew what rugby was, they kind of were taking everybody. And so I feel like I always say like, I got in at a good time. (laughs) And so that was kind of my introduction to the sport of rugby. Wow. So you started it in college as just kind of a fun side thing. That is wild. That's wild. I love it. Okay. So we had Lauren. Do you know who Lauren Gibbs is? Yeah. Bob Sledder. We had her on and like she, she got into her sport at like 30 years old too. Like, I love it though, because that just tells us that you're never too late to start something new, right? There's always something around the corner. You just got to try stuff, right? You got to play with it and just see what happens. So did you run track like all growing up or did you do other sports as well? I think like most young girls growing up, like you did soccer for a little bit, you did cheerleading. But once I like got into middle school, I really started sticking to track and field. And so I did that up until my last year of high school and had a lot of success with it. It made me an an amazing athlete. And I think that's what allowed me to transition and be so successful when I did enter rugby at the college level, but even at the professional level. So walk us through this journey, like you're, you're starting it in college while you're really focusing on school, but you're kind of trying to build a social life and, and do this fun thing that just looks like fun and kind of getting back to those football roots. How does that progress? Is it just fun for a long time or did you get pretty serious pretty fast? I feel kind of like it was destiny because my college coach, he had ends with the national rugby team that I'm playing for currently. He was one of their video analysts, he would recommend any talent that he would see to them. And so for me coming in, I wasn't really good at rugby skillfully, but physically I got the job done. And so I think (laughs) he, he noticed that really fast that I had potential to be a really good rugby player if I could learn the skills aspect. And so two months into playing for the club rugby team, he told me that he recommended me to a camp for the national team around this time, Thanksgiving time, and suggested that I go. And I think it was a hard decision for me because it would be the first time like I'd be missing the holidays with my family, especially for a sport that I was, quote unquote, just doing for fun. (laughs) I'm not really looking to pursue it long term, didn't even know that that was an option. But I was just like, you know, why not? Like, I've never been to California. So that would be really cool. From there, I went out to a camp here in Chula Vista. And physically, what they needed. And I think back then, with rugby not being so big, they were looking for these like freak athletes that they could turn into rugby players. And (laughs) I fit that nice, (laughs) I fit that mold for them. And so they did offer me a contract at that camp. But as you said, like I was really focusing on my academics. Having a stable job was something that was ingrained in me from my father. So it was important that I got my degree before I ever thought about pursuing a career in professional sports. I just always knew that it had the potential to be too temporary 
because of that, I declined that proposal to come out for the team. And so I just went back to college, kept on playing rugby, continued to get better, had a huge impact on the team, as well as a lot of the other girls that came in with me at that same graduating year. And then went to a couple other camps throughout those three years. And then my last semester of my senior year of college, they asked me to come to another camp. At this point, like I realized, oh, people like go to the Olympics for this. People get paid for this. <laughs> eyes have been opened, right? <laughs> yeah, eyes opened a little bit. And like thinking about it from an academic standpoint, it was kind of a means to an end of, oh, if I can possibly go to the Olympics, I can add that to my resume to be able to get into any physical therapy school that I want. So it was kind of like, okay, how can I use this sport to benefit me for the true plans that I had set for myself? Smart. I ended up taking them up on their offer um, my last semester of college and moving out to Chula Vista full time to train while also finishing my last semester of college online and working part time as a waitress at Buffalo Wild Wings to like supplement what I needed to be able to survive out here. Because again, I was a new player, so I'm on the lowest contract coming in. So as a college student, like, you know, (laughs) the funds aren't really there. So (laughs) really multitasking to make this opportunity work. From there, like there was some ups and downs, but for the most part, it was super positive and has just been an amazing experience. And it's just crazy to think about because this was never like in the plans for me. It was never a dream of mine so much to be a professional athlete. And to be such a type A person and have a plan and then a decade later, look at my life and it's completely (laughs) different, but almost better than I could have ever imagined. Um, It's kind of crazy. Crazy is not bad. You know, sometimes we just take a detour, the scenic route, what shall we say? (laughs) Exactly. So at what point, I mean, you're out there like, all right, I'll give it a whirl. Like maybe this could be something, but you're also waitressing and you're finishing school online. Like that sounds like a lot. At what point are you like, I do have these dreams. Like, was it already switching when you decided to move out there? Or kind of at what point were you letting go of this initial plan, you know, and kind of switching to like, no, I'm going to do this? So when I moved out here, I was under coach Julie McCoy, and she ended up being replaced by the current coach at that time, Richie. And he saw the potential in me, but he recognized the skills weren't there. And so crazily, like four months into me being out here, I ended up getting cut from the team. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) And so for me, like my immediate reaction was, all right, you know, I'll just go back to North Carolina, start applying for PT schools and go from there. Like basically just give up the rugby dream. Because again, it wasn't like a huge goal of mine. It was just a means to an end of how can I get to the Olympics, add it to my resume and help me get into PT schools. Were you not that devastated? Was it kind of like, oh, that sucks, but whatever, I'll just go back to my plan. Was that kind of how you felt or was it a little disappointing still? I was definitely devastated in a sense of like, I had just uprooted my whole life (laughs) right? to come out here. (laughs) That's a big deal. (laughs) Really like steered away from the plan I had knowing how temporary this sport could be. And that kind of was like the reassurance of like, oh yeah, like my dad was right kind of thing. But I think I'm a huge problem solver. So even when, you know, I'm sad and frustrated and like disappointed, like it's it's always for me like, okay, what's the next move? Like, how do I get back on my feet type of thing? And I had also never like been in a situation where I had been 
not good enough, whether it was academically, sports-wise, friendship-wise. That was like my first adversity that I had ever dealt with. Oh, that's interesting. And so um, when that happened, I called my mom and my dad and just basically was like, hey, (laughs) I got cut from the team. Like, I'm going to start packing my stuff. I'm coming home. And even though my dad like never was for professional sports as your long-term career, he was encouraging me to stay and like try to get back on the team. And my mom did the same thing. And I think they were aware like, okay, she's never dealt with this type of situation. So let's support her through it. And also the coach, like seeing the potential, even though he cut me, he still was offering for me to be in a developmental camp out here. Oh, okay. And so um, for me, it was like the financial side of Okay, taking up that offer, but having to up my hours to at my waitress job to be able to provide for myself until I eventually, hopefully, was brought back onto the team. And so, thanks to my parents, I decided to stick it through and went through that developmental process. And through that process, ended up missing the 2016 Rio Olympics. Right after that, Richie brought me back onto the team. And I think that was the moment for me where I was like, okay, you are a little more invested in this than you think, because having already missed that Olympics, I knew I'd have to put in another four years. That's a big commitment. (laughs) Big commitment. Well, so how long from when you decided to leave school and go there, you got cut, but you were staying through the developmental, like how long was that period? That was about nine months. Okay. Was that super hard? I mean, not only are you on this emotional roller coaster and not following the plan that you had set out for yourself, like, so there's already like, I'm sure different stresses that are already taking like emotional and mental energy from you, but you're also working alongside training a very physically demanding sport. How were you juggling that? Like, were you just exhausted and had no time for anything else? Or did you still have time for friends and to hang out? Or what was life like in that nine months where you're like, I think I'm going to try to do this, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I think it was just kind of a whirlwind. Like, I don't think I ever like, was present enough to be like, holy crap, like all this stuff is <laughs> happening right now. Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of just like day by day doing what I needed to do to get to the goal that I wanted to reach. Um, Whether it was like waking up at 5 a.m. to go do the developmental session, coming home, sleeping throughout the day, and then working at night. It just was like a routine type of thing. Like I was just kind of going through the motions, knowing that I had an angle. So just focusing on that angle to keep me invested in how difficult it actually was. Cause looking back, I'm like, I have no clue how I did that. (laughs) Being like a super ambitious person through sports and academics, I think that drive and that ambition helped me to stay on that path and not get strayed too much. And then just the support of my family too, made it a lot easier. You've got to have that support system somehow. It's so hard, even in individual sports, you know, like you you need people around you to, you know, have your back, to tell you when to keep going, to be there when you need a shoulder to cry on. Like, I get that. Exactly. So you don't make the 2016 team, but then you get put on shortly after on the team. Is that like, I guess the national team, is that what that's considered or just the main international competition team? Like, what do you mean when he like put you back on the team? Yeah. So the national team, the USA rugby team that um, represents us in the Olympics. Gotcha. And at that point, you're like, okay, I'm I'm doing this for four years. Like there was a full commitment. Like this is the block of time I'm going to put into this. Or was it still kind of like, you know, I'm going to take it season by season. (laughs) Like how committed were you at that point? I think it was definitely like tournament by tournament. And I think mainly because 
I just didn't know. Like, I knew he was bringing me back, but I didn't know, like, just because he brings you back doesn't mean you'll play. And so, like, just keeping an open mind and being ready, but always having the plan B of, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go home (laughs) and go to PT school. So I think that helped me, too, of, like, well, I have a backup plan. And that was something my dad always talked about, have the backup plan, especially with sports. And so I think that made it easier to stick with it. But going through the process, that first tournament, I think, for me, like, set everything in stone. Interesting. So what happened to that first tournament to set it in stone? So I had actually had my debut in the four months that I came on the team with that first coach. Do I think that I had deserved to be selected for that tournament? Probably not. But she really believed in me and took a chance on me. And I had great success in that tournament. I scored my first try on the first touch of the ball. And so like it was small moments, but those small moments were very huge. And like for me, like proved to the team or at least the girls like, hey, you know, like, I'm not that great at skills, but I have something here. That was my debut tournament in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But my official debut tournament for myself that I feel is after those nine months being brought onto the team, we went to Sydney, Australia, and I just had a breakout performance. And I think that's where people started being like, who is this girl? And for me, not only as an individual having an amazing performance, But as a team, like being able to come in and impact the team in the way that I did to put us in a good position in that tournament, because I think maybe we were 13th, 12th, like lower bottom eight ranked before that tournament. And going into that tournament, we came in second. Oh, wow. Even though we didn't win the finals, I still was able to receive player of the final. And so for me, that was just like, okay, like you can do this. You know, the potential that the people did see like it is there. And so I think that for me was just like, okay, I can't quit now. (laughs) And so that kind of skyrocketed uh, my ambition for it. That's so fun. I want to back up and ask you one thing, because I I like that you keep pointing out that you you always had this plan B and your dad was always like, you got to have a plan B, especially with sports. But some people always say the flip side of that, like you got to be all in and put all your eggs in one basket to like be the best. So what do you have to say? between those two like schools of thought? You can do both. How do you do that? I think with my situation, I had already got my degree. And so in terms of PT school, it was okay for it to be on pause because the next step was just applying for schools. And you can do that anytime. And so for me, I had kind of already set that in stone to where I didn't have to put any energy into it. And so all my energy was able to go to rugby. All my focus was able to go to rugby. and. PT school was just my rock bottom, basically, in terms of like, if this fell through, like I had already set myself up by not taking that first proposal two months into college to be okay. Because I think now I watch some of my teammates who took that early proposal and are now backtracking to get degrees and those things. And I'm just like, man, kudos to you for like going back to school but I'm so happy I got that over with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that allows me to put that energy completely into rugby. That's a good way of looking at it. It is plan B, but yet at the same time, you are all in right now. Like that's a good separation of of how to look at that. I hear both sides of the argument a lot. So it's just really fascinating for me to see how other people look at that. So you have this breakout tournament in Australia. You are like player of the finals. You guys get second, like Things are looking good. I mean, is this whole time like you are eyeing the Olympics 
several years out or you're still like tournament by tournament? Like at what point does does something switch in your head that like it's not just about PT school later, like after whatever tournament's done, but I am going for Tokyo? I think because Tokyo so far, like I didn't even think about it. It was really like tournament to tournament because again, being in this environment, you can get cut any day. And like being a newer player, like I really had something to prove. And I still was learning so much. I don't think I learned how to like properly pass until three years in. And so to even be thinking about the Olympics, I don't (laughs) think I even had the bandwidth mentally to do that because I was still focused on learning how to catch a pass, learning how to defend, learning how to read pictures. There was so much going on that I wasn't able to like think so long term. But I think that was really good for me because it allowed me to focus on those small details that would prepare me for that long term goal. Walk me through some of those years as you're first starting out. Like you said, it took you three years to learn how to like pass correctly. What are some of the ups and downs you're going through? Because again, you've, you've put off going to PT school. Like, you know, this is what you're kind of all in for. Like, it sounds like you are really good at staying in the moment. So when you were out there initially, like, okay, I've got a waitress here. I'm going to sleep here. I'm going to work out here. And that's just, I'm just in it and I'm going. And sometimes it just life kind of passes by because I'm just in my thing doing it. Like, so, I mean, which is an amazing skill, especially when you're competing to be able to stay in the moment. Is that naturally for you? Like just a really good default button? I think so because I feel like I always try to prepare myself for the worst, no matter what, like no matter how good of a position I'm in, like I'm always trying to mentally prepare myself for the worst so that if it ever does happen already kind of, prepared. <laughs> okay, like, wait, 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 we need to break this down a little more. Because that like on its surface sounds like this is going to go terribly, like I'm a negative Nelly, I'm an Eeyore. Oh, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? No. I think what you're saying is I'm prepared for the worst, but maybe hoping for the best. Like, I don't know. Well, explain what you mean by this, because <laughs> I don't hear people say this very often. Yeah. So like prepared for the worst in terms of thinking of all the options that could happen but always manifesting positivity, always speaking great things into existence, just in case, (laughs) just in case being ready, because in business, it happens like, yes, we're playing a sport, but it's a business. So I think just having that first experience with having being so hopeful coming out here and then getting cut, it's like, what the heck? (laughs) Right. And you forget like, oh yeah, this, this is a job. And so just always being ready for the possibility that things will not always go the way that you plan them to go. Learning from experience. Right. Does that kind of maybe actually give you kind of a level of like confidence in a way? Because yeah, because like you're like, well, even if the worst happens, like this is what I'm going to do and I'll be okay. Yeah, 100%. I like that. I kind of feel like that's really dealing with fears too for a lot of people. Like because they don't want to think about it because they're scared if they think about it, that's going to happen. But what you're telling us is if I'm prepared for that to happen and I know that I can handle it, then I can focus on being positive and all these things I want to do. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. Like they say, be ready so you don't have to get ready. Oh, I like that. I like that. (laughs) I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you're living in this awesome state of mind. What is rugby like on this level? Because this isn't like the kind of playing just after school for fun socially. Like you're now, like you said, it's a business, like it's a job. So how does that start to change? And like, are you friendly with the girls on the team or is it very much like this is business off the field? We're just doing our own thing. Like what is the environment like? It changes a lot because as we talked about, like it's a business. So girls come and go. And coaches come and go, staff comes and goes. 
So I think it's a very adaptable environment. Like I have become the adaptable queen because I've dealt with so many changes throughout my eight years, whether it's with my teammates, um, my position, my contract, the staff, the coach, like just learning to go with the flow and be ready for the changes. There's a huge thing in this environment, which I think a lot of girls can attest to. It's a mentally tough job off the field and on the field. On the field, you're playing a competitive sport at the highest level. And if you don't perform well, you get fired. So like, (laughs) just imagine the stresses that comes with that. No pressure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then off the field, being in a group of 20 plus women from all different environments, that have been raised differently, that just have different ways of living, different personalities. Everybody's not going to mesh. Like it's just impossible. And so um, mentally learning how to work with different people, learning how to communicate with different people on and off the field, learning the business side of the sport in terms of negotiating for yourself. It's a very tense, stressful environment at all times. Like it's very hard to find the fun in it especially as the years go on, but it has so many fun moments throughout. But yes, it is a very adaptable, stressful, tense, high intensity environment with a little fun sprinkled in there, depending, <laughs> depending on your role, <laughs> depending on your role. How do you keep yourself motivated then? If the fun is only sprinkled in, I mean, are you living for the fun moments or what keeps you around then? Like what keeps you wanting to do this sport? Oh, it's a lot of things. Just like I've been able to create amazing friendships through being on this team. Some of these girls turning into my best friend and eventually family. So I think that's something that's been really, really beneficial to me. Being able to financially benefit from a sport, like playing sports, it's fun. Like it's hard, but it's fun. And so to be able to make money having fun is an amazing thing. And and to be able to use that money to put yourself in a financial situation where you're comfortable and you can provide for your family and for yourself, that's always been a goal of mine. So that's a huge benefit of it. The networking that you're able to do to prepare yourself, again, like a means to an end to prepare yourself for the future when you do leave the sport has been very beneficial to me. I've been able to meet people from all around the world in different avenues that can benefit on both sides, me to them and them to me, which has been um, incredible. We've been able to travel the world. I've been to so many countries and I wouldn't be able to say that if it wasn't for rugby specifically. And then also just how open-minded it has made me become in terms of being able to travel the world and be put into different cultures and around different people. And also just being on my team, like being around people who love different people, who have different religions, different upbringings, different languages. Like you just learn so much and you become so much like more cultured than you could ever imagine. Like being in such a non-judgmental environment has just been so amazing. And so like I talk about the stresses of this sport and this job, but like the benefits that I've been able to get from this sport and also just even the impact that I've been able to have on my community, to my friends and family back home to supporters that love the sport, love our team and love me specifically as an athlete, like to be able to give back to them. I mean, I could go on and on about the benefits. And I think that's the big reason why I stay in the sport. That was very, very well said. I love it. Yes. 
there is something really special about being around people who aren't just like you, right? Who are from very different environments and backgrounds. And it's it's a beautiful thing. We, we learn to see people like, even though we might be totally different, there's always some kind of common ground. Maybe it's just your sport, but that's something, you know, and that can bring people together. And it's, I think it's, it's really cool. What's like maybe your favorite place? Because you, you keep talking about how you've been to a lot of international competitions. What's your favorite place that you've been to? Um... I think I would go with so hard because we've been to the best places you could ever imagine. <laughs> so we go to Dubai for Thanksgiving every year. So the team's actually getting ready to travel there on Sunday. Oh, exciting. So that's just like a really cool place because it's a huge rugby area, which a lot of people wouldn't expect. Rugby's huge out there. I was going to say that's very surprising to me. Yeah. And so like they have the best facilities, the best uh, crowd whenever we go to that tournament. Really? Yes, it's amazing. And then also just Dubai, like that's just a place that everybody wants to go. And it's, it's so unique and exquisite. So like being able to go to a place like that multiple times throughout your career, it's awesome. And then South Africa also is like very beautiful, has so many great things to do. I could really pick every place, like pick a, from every place that we've been because they take us to the best places, which is really nice. That is pretty cool, man. I'm a little jealous. I never got to go to those two places. So maybe one day I'll get to go. Not yet. But yeah, not, not yet. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So let's get back to the rugby part specifically. Like as Tokyo is getting closer, how is that whole selection process? Because I know every single sport does it different. Were you guys chosen before the pandemic? You know, and how did the pandemic affect you guys? Like kind of walk us through that period of time. The team was not chosen during the pandemic. I think we had a season to play before Olympic selections were made. Olympic selections for our team usually aren't made until a month before. Okay, yeah, ours too. Yeah, and so... Before you can even like think about that, you have to think about getting through a whole season of seven stops. I can't exactly remember how many stops we had with the COVID situations going on. It wasn't that many, which was the case for a lot of the teams on the rugby circuit going into the Olympics. And so I think for us, it was kind of just like hoping that we took advantage of all the opportunities that we were able to have before going to the Olympics to make us as prepared as we possibly could in the circumstances. And so I think the biggest thing was like staying healthy, like, okay, as long as I can stay healthy and continue performing at the level I am, like I have, I have the best shot I can possibly provide myself. And so that was kind of my mindset going into Tokyo. And again, like adding an extra year when really I was only coming out here to do a year to go to 2016 and right. <laughs> for 2021. You really want me to stay, don't you? <laughs> was that intimidating to have to have another year or were you thankful for that? Or because everybody seems to have a completely different perspective on that extra year. <laughs> I mean, it was fine for me, weirdly, like outside of the people that were affected health wise by it. It was a nice break. As an athlete, like it was nice to like be able to chill and like relax and let my body decompress and spend time with family and friends that you miss out on a lot when you're um, full time in this um, type of profession. And so it kind of like just gave me mental clarity, physical relaxation. And it was kind of like a reset button for me, which I really appreciated. And again, like looking at all the options, like 
knowing this was a possibility and just being prepared of like, okay, how can I make the best out of what the situation is? The problem solver coming out in you. (laughs) The problem solver, yeah. So what was it like as you're actually getting closer? I guess you guys, first, you probably had to get the spot for Team USA. And then do they make their specific team selections after that? Yeah. So we had to qualify in the 2020 season if I'm getting that correct, 2019 or 2020, I can't exactly remember with the COVID kind of messed up my whole scheduling. I know there's like three years that just blend into one now. (laughs) Yeah. And so we had to qualify and we ended up qualifying, ended up placing top four that season. So that automatically qualified us for the Olympics. So that was great for us. So I think that helped the quarantine time be a little more chill because we're like, we already know we're in. We just need to make sure we do what we need to do um, once we get there. Did they still make their selections like a month before? Like, okay, so this is when I talk to people on team sports because I was an individual athlete. I mean, we we had a little team sport like with Synchro, but it's totally different. But do they like tell you you're on right like and you know the team or do are they still cutting people like right before you leave? Like, how does that work? So normally going into a season like closer to the end of the season, going into an Olympic year, closer to the end of the season, like four months away from the Olympics, our team will go from 25 girls to about 15 to 18. And then in terms of like wanting to build connection with the girls that have the highest chance to make sure that we're setting ourselves up as best as we can a month before, then they'll lower it to 12 or 13, whatever the number is that they're bringing to the Olympics. And so then we'll have that month to really dial it in with those girls and then get ready to play. Man, so it's like intense right up to the end there. <laughs> All the way, yes. How are you feeling throughout that process? Were you pretty confident with your spot or were you kind of, did you feel like you were on the potential chopping block at any point? At that point in time, I was very confident with my spot. Uh, I think because of the work that I had put in and um, the seasons I had had before, I think the main thing for me was just stay healthy, just stay healthy. And being in a contact sport, like every day you're putting your body through the ropes. And so there's always opportunity for injury if we're being realistic. And so I think that's like the biggest thing for anybody, because even after you make your Olympic selection, you still have a month where you have to stay healthy before you play. And so I think that was the biggest thing for me. It's like, just stay healthy, just stay healthy. Even going into these each tournament we have during the season, building up to each of those, it's like, okay, you know, you can perform, you know, you put yourself in a good place in that area, but you just got to stay healthy. I mean, do you guys, I'm sure you have just like a team of trainers and people that you work with to prevent things and, and all that too. Is that a hundred percent, but contact sports, <laughs> literally, I, I know, right? Like any weird thing. I mean, we have black eyes and broken noses every week. So it's like, you know, it becomes very normalized, but at the end of the day, it does have a Im- big impact if it does happen. What's the worst injury you've had? Have you had anything bad? Um, knock on wood, I haven't. I've had minor things like a, like maybe like a calf strain or I think I had like the biggest thing was like a little broken, like a little chipped bone in my foot. But like if I have to have any, any injuries, I'm grateful that they were at um, that level really happy that I've been able to stay as healthy as I am. And I hope that that continues to be the case. Yes, we do too. Yes. So keep doing all your things. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. So you get to Tokyo. Was it everything you thought it would be? Because again, like it was different because it was a pandemic, but yet it was your first Olympic Games. So how did it live up to the hype in your head? 
we had a couple of girls who had been to the 2016 Rio one. So we had an idea of like what we could expect, all the cool things that we would get, all the cool places that they would have there for us to go and all the like amazing athletes we'd be able to see. And so we kind of had that in our minds, but we were also aware like we're going during COVID. So there were so many restrictions from the jump that we knew it would be a completely different experience than any Olympics that had ever occurred. And I just was like, oh, like, it's going to be so fun. And so when I got there, like, you get the, my favorite part was like getting all the free stuff, like your luggage is full of things and just like seeing all the amazing cool things you got. And yeah, we were able to like see all these amazing athletes and stuff, but there wasn't much interaction, which I think is something that we missed out on. And then once we got there, it was just work. Literally wake up at five, eat on the bus for an hour, lift on the bus for an hour, eat on the bus for an hour, train. Like, (laughs) and then I'm like, I don't want to do anything. And even (laughs) if I did, we can't because of COVID. Because not only do I have to worry about like physically staying healthy, I have to worry about not getting COVID. Because they were testing you guys like all the time, weren't they? Yeah, every day it felt, I think it was every day. And so like the fear of that, of like, even if I'm doing all the, like following all the precautions, if I get COVID, I'm not playing in the Olympics. Right. Oh, that's so stressful. Yeah, it was not fun. I expected it to be fun, but I should have, you know, again, known better of like, <laughs> steal your job. Like, <laughs> you're out here to perform and um, strive to win a gold medal. You're not out here to have fun. So just sprinkling in the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that was the difference for me. But I mean, and also not having the spectators in the crowd, it kind of just felt like we were playing at a regular tournament in terms of like the games. And so like the only thing that really felt different was first getting there, being able to be in the village, um, see all the cool things we got and see all these amazing, amazing athletes. And then at the end, being able to be like, wow, like I'm officially an Olympian. Like I played in the Olympics. It's crazy. Like I accomplished this goal that I've had for so long. And so then I have to ask you, what happened after that? Because were you going to go to back to PT school? Yes. I don't know if I, what was my plan? I think, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember. I think I was like, okay, I'm still young, healthy and like performing. So I can strive for the next. Oh yes, that's exactly what it was. And so because, <laughs> <laughs> because the year had got bumped up, then it was like, oh, well, next year's World Cup. Oh, and then the next year's Pan Ams. And then the next year's the Olympics. So I might as well just go through this cycle again since we've kind of got a year push up. I don't know if it would have been different if we actually had did the Olympics in 2020. But um, because of the circumstances, I decided to um, go another Olympic cycle. And so we're here now. (laughs) So has this Olympic cycle been totally different from the last quad? Just my role on the team, that being elevated myself as a player, just continually elevating, reaching new levels, fitness-wise, physically, mentally, emotionally, working with our sports psychologists. I've just become a completely different athlete in all the best ways possible than I was um, when I first came in. So with that, taking up leadership roles and a different experience than that first cycle. So how do you feel going into Paris, like the run for Paris this next year, how are things feeling? I mean, you're a totally different athlete in a totally different place. There's no COVID issues currently. Let me knock on some wood real quick. You know, like, how do you feel going into this last run up? I'm playing well. Mentally, I feel like I'm in a good place. 
I've already started kind of thinking about what my plans are after the Olympics and thinking of all those options because I'm not exactly sure if this is my last year with the team or not. So like trying to really take it all in versus like kind of just going through the motions like I have throughout the past seven years, like trying to reach that first Olympic goal. Mostly just like reflecting a lot on like how far I've come, go getting ready to like fight to make my second Olympic just sounds crazy. <laughs> Even the fact that I've made the first one. And so I think it's just kind of a roller coaster of emotions, but like you do have a schedule. So you do like get wrapped in, okay, go to training, travel, go to these tournaments, and then eventually it'll be almost time for the Olympics. There you are staying in that moment again. You're so good at that. Where did you end up as a team in Tokyo? Taking sixth place. Sixth place. So how do you feel going into Paris? Like, do you think your chances are kind of similar? Do you guys feel stronger as a whole team? Because I know you obviously feel like a different athlete now, but what about like the dynamic of the team? We ended up being top four going into Tokyo. And with how our tournament is set up, um, you have your pool play and then you have your quarterfinal semi and finals. And for the quarterfinals, well, for the pool play, we ended up winning our pool, especially against a hard team like Australia. So we were really on the right path. I think where we missed the mark was just our quarterfinal against GB. If you looked at numbers, that was a game that we should have won. But sevens is very unpredictable. And whoever comes to win is going to be the one that wins. And, and there can only be one winner. And so losing that game really messed up what we accomplished going into that, to that Olympics. And so from a sports psychologist aspect, learning from that moment of that big game mentality, how do we overcome that? And that's um, something that we've been working on building into this Olympics is constantly winning those big moment games because that's where we lacked the previous Olympics. And so going into this Olympic season, um, last season, we were ourselves in these amazing places. And now it's just like, behind Olympics and win those big moments like we've been training after that last mishap. And so I think with that, the girls, we know what we can accomplish and we, we know the work that we put in to get here and we just need to um, be consistent with that. For sure. Are there a lot of the girls from the Tokyo team still on it? Did a lot of you guys stick around? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to hear, I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about this Naya on Fire because I absolutely... Love that slogan, like your brand. Like, tell me where that came from and what it entails. I love for financial stability. I wanted to find another avenue to um, make money. And social media was becoming a huge thing. And I watched um, some of the male players capitalize on that. And so just um, learning from their experiences and leadership, I decided to start my own brand, not only to... Um, have financial benefit, but also to be able to connect with the people who were su supporting me. And so with that, I created the Nyon Fire brand. And that name came from my mom's best friend. She's basically like my aunt. <laughs> they both are from New York and they're all about rapping. And so like my aunt would call me Nyon Fire. And it kind of just made sense in terms of like who I am as a player I'm just being this fiery person on and off the field, being speedy, but also being super ambitious. Um, it just made sense. And so I adopted that name, started making merchandise so that people could have it on while they're watching me play, support me in that way. 
also had in my website for people to learn more about me, things that I had going on, whether it was YouTube or a scholarship or things of that such. Just finding a way to um, connect with people all over the world who were wanting to know who I was and wanting to keep up with what I was doing. So that was kind of the main goal around that. It's super cute and fitting. I love it. Naya on fire. It's just fun to say too. I am looking and I'm like, this is awesome. I love it. And you also like, tell me about you are fundraising for a scholarship. Like tell us all about that. Cause I think this is really, really cool. There is an organization out here called the on back rugby organization. They have an adult team, men and women's, but they also have a youth rugby team aged from, I want to say like five to 14. And so I did an event with them. And from that event, speaking on the networking again, I just had a really good vibe with them. We eventually created a really good relationship and I wanted to find a way to help them in whatever way I could. Also, just the support they had provided me as a player. I just appreciate it so much. And so we collaborated to create the Nia Tapper Scholarship to provide financial assistance to the youth rugby players to help the youth rugby players, but also their parents to play rugby without having to worry about the financial side. So helping them pay their dues for the season, helping them make sure they have all the kit that they need to be able to play. I just thought that was so important because sports has literally changed my life. So to be able to provide that opportunity for people who also want to have that experience, I think um, was really important to me. And again, rugby has given so much to me. So I always try to find ways to give back to the sport. And so working with On Back has been that way. And so we're going into our second year of fundraising for the On Back Youth Rugby team. And last year we were able to fund four young rugby players. And this year we want to be able to double that to eight. And so right now we're looking to raise about $3,600 to be able to provide them with that help. That's cool. Well, where can we learn more about both the scholarship and your merch? Is that all on your website? Merch on my website. In terms of the scholarship, at the moment, it's currently attached to my Instagram account. So at Naya Tapper and also my business Instagram account at Naya on Fire. Um, there's also been postings on my LinkedIn, on my Facebook and on my Twitter, all at Naya Tapper as well. Also, you can that has a link tree that will provide a link to the scholarship and more information about it. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes and and your website too, uh, nyatapper.com. That's really handy. I do have to ask you about one thing before I let you go. I was reading in your bio, you were on Project Runway. I have to know the details of this. <laughs> so I think we were getting ready to go into Pan Ams and I had this opportunity to do participate in Project Runway. They were having an Olympic athlete edition. Nice. And (laughs) uh, one thing you'll learn about me is like, yes, I'm very aggressive. I love playing rugby. I'm a rough girl, but I'm also like super, super girly, super feminine. Are you? (laughs) I love it. I am. (laughs) I'm like a mix of both. And so I love being able to tap into that side. And so I felt like Project Runway was able to do that for me, which I think is really cool. But I was also able to share to the world what rugby is and that there's women rugby players out there. Cause a lot of people don't know that women play rugby professionally and that even though we do play rugby professionally, the rules are the same across the board for men and women. So we do contact, we do everything that um, the men do. And so being able to use that platform to spread awareness about my sport, about women in rugby 
and um, specifically Black women in rugby, I thought that that was just an amazing opportunity. And to be able to meet those people, they were so amazing, so interesting, so talented. And so, I mean, it was an amazing experience and I'll uh, never be able to forget it. That's so cool. Now, has that swayed you from your plans of PT after rugby? Like, are you now going to maybe go that way instead? <laughs> are we still still thinking about PT at some point in the future? Um, I think uh, having <laughs> gone through my rugby career, I think something that I've gained a passion for is just sports business. And so I think I've officially strayed away from PT school, mainly because I really don't want to go back to school. I kind of got <laughs> away from that. <laughs> gotcha. But I think also just my love for the sports business world, realizing like I really do love the negotiating aspect, the marketing aspect. And I feel like I could um, have a big impact in that world, especially around rugby, being a rugby player and learning a lot of things to experience. I think there's a lot that I can do on the business side of it that I think needs a little improvement. So I think um, that's what I'm kind of striving towards once I do decide to retire. Well, that's cool. Did you have to do a lot of that on your own at the beginning? Did you have an agent or somebody who helped you or were you just kind of figuring that out along the way? I did have a couple agents that I went through that I learned a lot from, but I think overall, a lot of it I researched and figured out on my own or gained through experience. And so currently I'm kind of just leading the way on my own from the experiences I've had, the people I've met that I've learned from and are kind of trying to figure it out myself because nobody really knows how to sell you better than you can sell yourself. So true, true. So few of us can do that, though. It it is a special talent, I feel like. So it takes a lot of time. Yeah, I think that's really cool because not only have you learned to advocate for yourself, but it sounds like you are going to be, if you're not already showing other people how to advocate for themselves, too, and kind of paving a way there as well. Like it obviously helping people and and encouraging people sounds like it's right up your alley. So I love that. That's a good back of the mind plan B for you, but be all into rugby through Paris for us. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Naya, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm super excited to cheer you on toward Paris. Good luck. And let us know if there's any other ways that we can support you, but we'll be following you online for sure. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests. And it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.